0: just go to cars.com It's magical. Never doubt six. Never doubt six. Never doubt. Never. Heisman Trophy winner, former walk-on finds Landry. We saw it tonight, first hand. Here's Wall. felt the energy. uh, That was an unbelievable feeling. (laughs) A little trick play and a throw to Baker Mayfield to tie the game from Jarvis Landry. Is that that Cleveland or what would we call him that one? You're listening to Straight No Chaser on the DVN Network. Here's your host, my dad, Telonius Seven. My DBN brothers and sisters, I hope this transmission finds you well. I'm your host, Alonius 7 and you're listening to Straight Note Chaser on the DBN Network. Ahead in this episode, we will talk about the top five Browns players on their respective units. We're going to get into John Dorsey and Hugh Jackson, and of course, Josh Gordon. Maybe a few conspiracy theories, and uh... I also saved one of the Bud Lights from the Victory Fridge for someone who is near and dear to my heart. But before we get into all that, let me give you some background on (laughs) my watching the game on Thursday night. I reside in a city that is far away from the land, and standing in between me and my love for the Cleveland Browns is the essential amount of sleep that I will need to get uh, for the rigors of my occupation. For the most part, I picked the Browns over Sleep, and you know that's what I did for the draft, which was really the last time my faith was tested. But this time, I had to stay late at work, and by the time I was leaving at the end of the day, I knew I was going to be done coming to the next day. So what I decided to do was employ a technique where I would lay down and review about as much about Browns footballs as I could take, and I fell asleep dreaming about football. And during my dream that Thursday night, I saw a montage of the last 18 games. The distress of losing and the most shocking images that had been repressed in my memory for the past 635 days. Back to when that Christmas Eve day of, uh, what, 2016? Ever since then, all these images going through my head. But the strangest thing happened. Almost as if the ghost of Joe Thomas himself came from his resting place on top of Mount Olympus and woke me from my sleep at 3.37 a.m. local time. I turned on the game and I saw that the score was 14 to nothing and that the Jets had the ball. And the announcers were saying that Taylor was being tested for a concussion and that the Baker Mayfield era was beginning in Cleveland. Baker Mayfield Baker, Baker, Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker I wish Mayfield. I had access to a real choir so that my vision could be completely realized on that song. Because, oh yes, what a triumphal entrance it was. Baker Mayfield entered the city of Cleveland with the hopes, dreams, and aspirations of a generation that was reared in futility. And you have to ask yourself. I mean, really, which time was it harder for him? Was it harder for him to walk on at Lubbock, Texas, or walking on at OU, or putting on the uniform with 26 quarterbacks with the names crossed off coming into Cleveland? You know, watching every report, the thing that I'm going to remember is the feeling I had looking at the scoreboard and thinking about Baker finally getting his chance. Like I said, score was 14 to nothing, and I was thinking, no, no. Across that, I was almost sure that this game was like none of the other games that I've seen since 1999. Really, not since 1985. Back when Kosar got going. Back when the dogs were the real dogs. Like back in that Jets game long, long ago in the playoffs. You know, you just kind of knew. You just knew that they were going to find a way. And they were going to pull it off. The, de- the defense has already shown signs of being there. And to say that the place was juiced was an understatement. Cleveland football is back. The Browns are 1-1-1 after three games and suddenly the game in Oakland doesn't look nearly as daunting. I don't think you can understate or overstate the impact that Baker Mayfield is having on this organization and on the city of Cleveland as a whole. Everyone who reported on this game And there have been plenty of national attention on this game. All anyone ever did is talk about how different the feeling was with this guy. You realize how hungry the entire city was for this. And you know how good he made the team the moment he stepped onto the field. And so, who do you credit for this? Do you credit Zampezi? Do you credit Haley? I guess yeah, right? What about McLuhan? Oh, yeah, of course. Well, what about Hugh Jackson? Did Baker Mayfield come to prominence on this night because of Hugh or in spite of Hugh? It's a really interesting question and quite frankly, I don't know the answer to this one. I actually thought that if Jackson lost this week, that we would see Baker in number four regardless. But it's very possible that without an injury... We may not have seen Baker until 2019. I don't know. After watching what you saw Thursday night, would you have bought a four to six win season with Tyrod Taylor? Is anyone thinking now about a four to six win season with Baker Mayfield? Nope. Are Clevelanders thinking about the playoffs? Yeah, I know it's a bit early. That talk is definitely premature, but no, no less. We are over the moon excited about the hype in Cleveland, and it brings us back to the critical question we asked at the beginning of the John Dorsey era. You know, John Dorsey inherited essentially a winless team that had been built by a salary cap expert. He flips 60% of the roster in hopes of putting the Browns at the top of the AFC North. And three games in, this goal doesn't nearly look as absurd as it did when it was originally stated. And while the team is better overall, and all over the place, the real genius to what he has done is to pick Baker Mayfield as his number one pick at quarterback over the objections of the national media and over the objections of people like Colin Cowherd, people like myself, who felt like they needed to look to the future of quarterback and draft upside, especially especially when you drop $15 million and a third-rounder on a uh, placeholder quarterback. You know, traditionally, when this team goes against kind of like the the grain of what the media is expecting from us, we usually end up paying for it. I mean, last year we went against the grain, traded Watson pick, and then Watson came in and handed the organization his response. A year before that, they talked about Wentz, and then Wentz did them in week one. And this game had the potential to break like those games. And when you turn it on, maybe you had the thought in the back of your mind that it would again, but it didn't because this time, we had the right quarterback. And for this, Dorsey will clearly be in the Browns' ring of honor, and rightfully so. He turned the factory of sadness into a factory of gladness. Okay, yeah, maybe that's still overstated, but for me, like I said, right now, this is, this is what I'm looking at. And This brings us to the question that folks have been asking about Hugh Jackson. Like, for example, what took Hugh Jackson so long to realize that Tyrod Taylor was not the best option. I mean, the easy question, or the easy answer to this question was kind of like what I've been reading in certain locations, basically that Hugh has been crazy or doesn't really know anything. But as I take a step back, I can actually buy the narrative that took place even though I didn't initially like the pickup of Taylor. Taylor did what his job was to do, and that was his job is to keep the hype off of the first pick of the draft. So there wasn't any competition, and that was by design. And the lack of competition let the youngster develop in silence, even with so much hype surrounding him. And if you look back just a couple of years before to what happened with Johnny Menzel, the media here in Cleveland made Johnny Menzel's life a literal circus, battling against Hoyer every day, having little updates about who completed what passes. That QB battle ended up fracturing the locker room. Plus, the talk about Taylor being a a great training camp leader, that wasn't all hype. He set a great example, and he made the team better, and it was very clear when you attended training camp sessions. Tyrod Taylor was the leader of the squad, an experienced veteran, and in years past, Uh, more specifically last year when the leaders in the the field were um, what Brock Osweiler and uh, Cody Kessler. And there just wasn't really much stability in that position. Having Taylor in there was a very good thing for the team. But at the same time, there's little reason to keep a 23-year-old rookie on the bench for the type of production that Taylor gives you. I mean, last year when I was basically talking about Jackson. I was done with the guy, but you know, I don't know starting to get a soft spot in my heart for the guy. Again, I didn't even know that could happen. You know, I think he's always gotten a good effort from this team and I think he's beginning to push the right buttons for this team right now. And even when the team looks down and out on the scoreboard, they're still playing very motivated and aggressive football. So for me, I guess I'm going to give Jackson a pass for Taylor coming in the way that he did and for Baker wait, waiting off a little later. I can't question what I'm looking at with Baker right now. So let's just let the, the developments move as they go forward and we'll look at them in a few weeks and see what we think about it. But there is, however, one button that I'm upset with this organization for, that they went ahead and, you know, moved on on. And that's the one where they gave the most talented receiver in the league away for a bucket of tofu wings. That's of course the situation with Josh Gordon. In a way, I get that this guy made mistakes, but if you're just going to run him at at that point for a fifth, why didn't you trade him earlier for value? Or why don't you just sit on the value until you get Baker on the field? Sunk costs being what they are. I feel like Josh Gordon would have just made this team so much better. And now, right now, this team misses him. I really wish you could have got a chance to have this guy in the field with a, a marksman like Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. It just seemed like if you traded him after that, the value would have been through the roof. You would have been able to get whatever you wanted for that guy. And maybe you would have got to the point where you just didn't want to trade him at all. Yeah, it, you know, in a way, I get it. I mean, I get that he made mistakes. But if you're... John Dorsey and you're going to run him at this point for a fifth rounder why didn't you just trade him for value earlier or why didn't you just sit on the value you had until you get Baker on the field sunk costs being what they are I just think that Josh Gordon made this team so much better and now I feel like the team misses him somebody else got to step up in his place you know so um, while I'm ready to add John Dorsey to the ring of lore in Ohio Edison Stadium I won't forget this mistake. And I'm gonna add it to the list of things that I'm holding accountable for in this season. Uh, Number one, of course, being running Josh Gordon after a relatively minor infraction. Number two, not having an NFL kicker on the roster after thoroughly purging the team of non real football players. And while we're at it, Amos Jones and his weekly blunder becoming a feature of our special teams. I still question the Kendricks move and minor moves like Horse and Charles. But, you know, given the turnover, all the things that have happened on this team, this is kind of a short list of grievances. The worst still certainly is Gordon. And I don't pretend to know what it's like to work with that guy. If he ends up bouncing around the league and burning out, you know, I'll take this back. But if he puts up numbers and starts to be reliable in New England, the Browns essentially rehabilitated him. To become a patriot. Uh, What's this? Yeah, this is the conspiracy theory alert. Conspiracy theories just ahead. If Josh Gordon would have been on the field with Baker Mayfield, they would have never let him go. I keep wondering if he wasn't somehow pining for Baker with Tyrod's suboptimal distribution. And if that pining was the reason for his shtick not being tolerated, of course that's rampant speculation. Like a lot of the articles that are being written about Josh Gordon, and this situation are. Unfortunately, we probably won't get the real story for a while. But I'm feeling sorry about the way this one ended. Josh, I wish you well. Good luck. And now I have 153rd Patriot in my blood. That's really sick. And now, your top five Browns on the offense. Well, without further ado, let's get to our top five Browns on the offensive side of the football. I'm making a list of the top five players to show what this team's identity is about on both sides of the football. With these top five lists on both offense and defense, I'm going to start at the top because in both cases, the players who are at number one and two should be pretty obvious. I'm also going to take a second to talk a bit about how these players have performed and what you can expect in the future. And what these players say about who we are as a team and how other teams have to deal with us. first, as for any question, the best player on the offense is quarterback Baker Mayfield, and it really isn't even close. Mayfield delivered the ball with accuracy all over the field, but let's not forget how close this guy came to not delivering. First, he threw a red zone pick that flew off the defender's pad. Also, uh, he was strip sacked. One of the crazy things about the Browns this season as compared to last season is just how rarely the Browns are turning the ball over even when they make turnover worthy mistakes. Put the ball on the ground, but it seems like for some reason the offense always finds a way to recover it as well as when the defense trips the ball or something, they always get the fumbles as well. I find this strangely odd. I don't think it's related to Baker Mayfield on the sidelines, but he's still learning the position. And he's going to make mistakes. And even with that said, even with that said, even with the mistakes that he made that day, he is the best quarterback that we've had since Bernie. And I can tell already. And maybe he's even better than Bernie. I probably really need to give it a bit of time, though, before we get a little too hyperbolic. But if you could redraft it right now, you're taking Baker every time. Funny. Funny, though. Would you actually take Allen or Darnell after what you saw in the last week of football? There's a lot of Allen haters on the line. In the end, that guy's producing in a way that I kind of thought he could do. But I, I, every time I'm taking Baker Mayfield here, and I think it's, it's very clear right now what we're looking at. John Dorsey did a wonderful job in this draft. So, Baker Mayfield's in first place on the list. Do you have a question? who the guy is at number two on this offense. It's very clear here too. It's Jarvis Landry. Time after time, this guy comes through. You get hit, he pops up, you gets hit again, and he pops up again, and he doesn't lose a swagger. He is a tough, tough wide receiver and absolutely deserving of the number two spot. He opened the year at number one for me when I first made this list and the show I never actually published. But, I would say he would gladly give up his number one spot to Baker Mayfield. The play I loved the most was the one he made for Tyrod, though. The one where he dove for a first down on Tyrod's only decent throw of the night. But of course, Mayfield at one, Jarvis Landry at two. But here's where things did fun. Some people would just say, Carlos Hyde here and be done. I think if the Browns... Pounded the ball with Chubb, they would actually be better off. I still think this team is kind of missing a scat back. It's not Duke. I mean, I like Duke, but I want a guy like Edo Smith or Martez Carter or Philip Lindsay. This guy, I mean, Hyde, he just looks slow. I mean, but at least he is the goal line and sharp yardage back that we have needed for years in Cleveland. I personally would run him at four. The guy I have right now in this offense at three is none other than Joe Batonio. All Joe Batonio has done has been flexible to be enough uh, to add enough flexibility to move both inside and outside for this team. While he's inside, he's playing at an all pro level and he's still playing at a very passable level at the left tackle position. You watch a lot of Hyde's big plays, and they're often being led by a pulling Batonio. I think that Harrison's tra- transition uh, to left tackles also been made much easier because of how good Joel is on the inside. Make no mistake, Joel Batonio is the anchor of an improving trench unit. I got Joel at three, and I put Carlos Hyde at four. And at five, it's Antonio Calloway. If there was something I noticed about this guy, it's the way that he runs. It's a little bit like Josh in the sense that he's kind of such a smooth strider. It looks like he's just jogging, but until he moves into this other gear and just glides away from dudes who look like they're running at speed, you—that's you, just how you see his ungodly talent on display. I got no question this guy will be moving up in the ranks as the year goes on. The offense as a whole looks much better with Mayfield at quarterback. They're going to miss Josh Gordon. Guys like Wilkins, Damian Ratley, David Njoku, they got to step up and be the red zone targets and playmakers that we're losing. I like Hyde, but I think I'd rather be feeding Chubb. He's clearly not ready to block yet. So until he can become a better blocker, he's basically a dead giveaway when he's on the field that there's going to be a running play. Heads up, here come the top five Brown defenders. So let's move to the top five players on defense. Once again, is there any question who the number one player on this defense is? It's Miles Garrett. All he does is screw everything up for everyone on the opposing offense. All he did is ruin the career of Sean Coleman and Rod Johnson. I remember taking footage of the first day of training camp for Miles Garrett and watching Coleman looking around like someone missed an assignment hey, last year I think Miles Garrett was hurt but this year his body type is different like he was bulkier than last year now he's like leaner in his arms and a lot more solid in his base this is like, well, he's more like flexible and powerful and on every play you need to have two guys who are worrying about where Miles Garrett is or you have to game plan for him in a way so that you're getting the ball out before it can actually get to the quarterback. It's Miles Garrett in first place all day on this defense. Some people might jockey between two and three uh, for the next selection, but for me, I'm going to go with Denzel Ward at two. That's how good this guy has been early on. I mean, it looks like Ohio State all over again up here in Cleveland, only maybe even better. And he's playing within himself and within the scheme and he's being very physical. And I must say he has definitely lived up to expectations and been a turnover machine and then some. You know, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward. Two first rounders in back-to-back years on your top two on your defense. This is really how you build a foundation for the future. The future is bright for this team. And you can debate between Denzel Ward and... Larry Ogunjobi I say Larry Ogunjobi still a three But he has gotten so much better This offseason over the year What a jump And don't you just love that stare down he had After his last sack Man he is a bad bad man Once again he slimmed down from a year ago And he just looks way more explosive And you have to ask yourself Is this guy even at a ceiling yet in his second year How good can this guy be uh, after the first three, when you have Garrett, Ward, and Ogunjobi, for me, four and five are a lot more difficult. Because really, is it Joe the Show? Is it Jabril Peppers? Or what about Marius Randall? I mean, these guys are great. I think Joe the Show has, been, has a great case for number four. I mean, Peppers is hitting hard. So is Kendrick. I mean, Randall likes Golden State, but he's also been pretty solid at free safety so far. But for me, my four and five are going to Money Mitchell and Jannard Avery. For me, all Avery does is make plays everywhere. And Money Mitchell is playing with such a great attitude. I mean, you know, he just turns the ball over. That's all he does. He's hungry for it. I mean, for me, this defense is great. And it could get better if these guys play together. They have a ton of talent. And the sky is clearly the limit for this group. Well, before we call this a show... I wanted to let you know that I have acquired a can of Bud Light to pour out for one person who is very near and dear to my heart. He's a guy who's been to every one of the 19 games in the Cleveland Browns with this winless streak, stood on the sidelines and consistently made egg salad out of an unending supply of eggs that this team laid on a weekly basis. I'm talking about none other than the boys, Cleveland Browns Daily, Nathan Zagura. Nate, this bud is for you, brother. And, you know, I'm not saying that I justify Nathan Zagura's actions. It isn't that. It's just that this guy had to witness 19 non-wins in a row live. After some of the last games. Like, remember... When Carl Nassib was offsides, or when Coco had that drop? The person I became after I watched those nightmares was definitely not my best self. And there isn't an excuse for it. I mean, we're all responsible for what we do. And for me, I choose to be understanding of my brother. I hope he's able to learn from his mistakes as I try to learn from my own. And Nathan Zagura, I pour one out for you for your continued service to this team and this community. And if there's any justice in the universe, you'll be able to cover the Browns as they turn this program around to become a dominant organization in the division, in the conference, and in the league at large. You've been listening to Straight No Chaser with my dad, Lelonia Severin, on DVN Network. Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, John Dorsey, you are now come on, sing. Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Hugh Jackson, your job is now safe. Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield. Super Bowl the in Cleveland. Super Bowl in Cleveland. And he will win forever and ever. Baker Mayfield. 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 A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.